Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor at Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Welcome back to our series called The Lion Revealed. Turn with me over in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. We're going to do Revelation chapter 4 and 5 today. I'm going to talk fast. You listen fast. And you write fast. On the back of your bulletins, you can, uh, you can keep right up with that and have something to take home with you. For the past three weeks, we've looked at the churches revealed as Jesus Christ gave a report card to each of seven churches that he chose to send a message to the congregation, to the pastor. He, uh, on five of them, they didn't get such great uh, grades, but God always gave them uh, mercy and grace and an encouragement to get back to their, the first things, to, to turn back to their love for Christ and, and, and God's word. Two of the churches got uh, really great grades, and, and um, the Lord encouraged them to continue as well. Um, we've been in Revelation 2 and 3, and this week we're in uh, what uh, what uh, what I'm calling the, today is as the lion worshipped. Today we'll join the writer of this letter. Of course, it is the Apostle John, as he gets behind the curtain between life uh, presently and the life that's taking place right now in heaven. Let's begin our reading in verse uh, chapter four, verse one. After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the, voice, the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me, saying, come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Now this is, I believe, a picture of the coming rapture when Jesus returns in the clouds to the redeemed and forgiven children of God. After the rapture, the tribulation begins, and Jesus is going to talk about those next week. We, uh, we get to chapter 6, but for now, he's going to show us a little glimpse of what happens when the redeemed get together in heaven, when we all join him in heaven. Right before the tribulation happens, we're going to have a party. We are going to have a moment of worship like we can't even imagine right now. It's an interesting reality that most solid biblical teaching churches that I know know a lot about salvation. They know a lot about the topic of, um, of prayer or evangelism, but very little is ever mentioned about the topic of worship. And today we're going to talk about this very topic as we see the worship that takes place in heaven We're so blessed each week to have our worship team, Nicole, and our team strive to keep the proper perspective and motives in our time of musical worship. Nicole regularly calls the team to maintain a godly perspective for our time of praise to the Lord, and I really look forward to hearing all of your voices, and as we come together as one forever family and lift our voices up, lifting up the name of Jesus But did you know right now in the throne room of heaven, the most awe-inspiring, breathtaking, and amazing worship service 
is about to take place. In fact, it's going to be so amazing that even John struggled to describe it. Chapter 4 describes the worship of God, our Creator, while chapter 5 describes the worship of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Let's begin by looking at chapter 4, the worship of God, our Creator. We are going to see Him as our Creator and worship Him. The key word here in chapter 4 is throne. It is used some 13 times just in this chapter alone. In fact, it is the key word for the entire letter as it is used some 36 times in Revelation. Knowing that God was on the throne had to be a big comfort to the persecuted churches in the first century. You may recall that the churches in the first century were persecuted beyond what anything that we have ever known here in America, at least. They were being marginalized. They were being taken out and arrested for their faith in Christ. The Romans didn't like them because they said there's only one God, and it's Jesus Christ. And of course, the Romans um, used to worship many gods. And then the, the Israelites, the Jews, didn't like him because they claimed that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. So they were really marginalized and pushed out of society. If you had a business, it was very hard to do business when you know three-quarters or, or 80% of the community didn't like you. And so they were being persecuted. They were being drugged into uh, for entertainment purposes uh, from Titus and other Caesars of their day they would choose the, the, the Christians to persecute. So they, they were going through really difficult times, and Revelation was written to them to encourage them to keep going. Don't stop. Things are tough, but keep going. Keep following the Lord. God is still in control. And it's a good reminder to us today that as this world seems to be falling apart, it's falling into place. Because our God up in heaven hasn't abdicated his power. He's still in control and he's firmly on the throne. So let's begin by taking a look at John's description of worship in God's throne room. Letter A, we see God on the throne. We see God on his throne. Verse 2, immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Now, to a lot of people out there today, this is, this is bothersome because it's like nails on a chalkboard since they refuse to believe that there is a seat of absolute authority and they're not in it. God rules and he reigns and he's sitting on the throne and there was no one like him. Moving on to verse 3, and he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. Notice John doesn't try to define God as having the shape of a man, but rather a bright light. Now, jasper is a translucent stone. It's, it's white in color, but you can see the white when, when light comes through it. You can see the light. And a sardius stone is similar, but it is red and reveals this beautiful red color when light is behind it. And uh, this could be a reference to his absolute holiness. We know that the white garments in heaven are for the redeemed and the holy. And the sardius color, uh, could that be the blood of Christ? A representation of the blood of Christ? Quite possibly. Letter B, we see a rainbow surrounds the throne. 
Verse 3, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Now that word around the throne, we, you know, we picture rainbows. Um, Debbie and I got to see a rainbow just a few days ago. Debbie likes to take pictures of everything that we see. And um, so, you know, she was out there taking pictures of the rainbow. And, um, and, and it was beautiful. But we only ever get to see, at the most, we get to see, what, 180 degrees of that rainbow? In heaven, the rainbow is a full 360 degrees. It is full. And it is complete. And it is around the throne where God sits. And, uh, and it is green. The rainbow is green, which uh, in the Word of God is the color for life. If you like to go through, well, the precept, you precept ladies would know this. As you reach uh, the color green, any time that you're going through the Word of God, word by word, the color green is the color of life. And the rainbow, of course, represents God's promise to mankind to never flood the earth again. He made that promise, and he has kept it, and his faithfulness to his Word is apparent. Letter C, we see elders and four living creatures near the throne. Four living creatures near the throne. Verse 4, around the throne there were 24 thrones. Now these are smaller thrones that um, circle the main throne of God. This could be a combination, these 24 thrones. Thrones and and elders could be a combination of the 12 tribes of Judah uh, along with the 12 disciples. So you have the Old Testament and the New Testament represented. That's a good, strong possibility. Some believe that these uh, 24 elders are angels, but I don't see it that way. Uh, I see them as a picture of the raptured saints made righteous And in verse 4, they're clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. Now, the wearing of crowns on the head, these are are something that God's going to give the righteous. The the angels are not open to that. God is going to do this to his people that come. He's going to give them crowns, and that's why I believe these are representation, really, of the church God's righteousness comes from the price that was paid by Jesus Christ on the cross and the debt that was paid on our behalf. David Jeremiah states that there are five crowns of God listed in the Bible. First, we see the imperishable wreath, like runners that would uh, participate in the Olympics. They would give them these beautiful wreaths that would go around the winner's head. Number two, the crown of life. Number three, the crown of exaltation. Number four, the crown of glory. And number five, the crown of righteousness. All available to those that pursue Christ and obey him. Letter D, we see power emanating from this throne. We see power emanating. Verse 5, and from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. And this takes us back to Mount Sinai when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Do you remember when he would speak, when God would speak to Moses? It was deafening. The sound that came out was just this loud, thunderous, and powerful sound that would come from him, which is a picture of God's awesome nature in the raw while sitting on his throne. It is truly going to be ominous and awesome the first time we get to experience this. I think every time. 
Letter E, we see the Spirit encompassing the throne here. The Spirit encompassing the throne. Continuing on, seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, you'll catch on to this pretty quick as we go through Revelation, but really throughout the Bible, the number seven is the number of completeness. So we see the Holy Spirit in full and complete glory here in these seven uh, lampstands of fire. Letter F, we see creatures accompanying God here. We see creatures accompanying God. Verse 6, before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. These have the same description of the creatures from Ezekiel uh, chapter 1, verse 4. They're the perfect match. They're angels, likely seraphim. Other eye, uh, their eyes also convey a sense of possessing complete wisdom and knowledge that they have been given from God to carry out his orders on earth. Verse 7 further describes these creatures. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living uh, creature like a calf, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle, we're told. Verse 8, the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, holy, 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 a reference to the Trinity, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. The worship of these creatures is reminiscent of the seraphim also in Isaiah chapter 6. This is exactly how they worship the Lord, uh, saying these words. Verse 9, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, this this is the church, They fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. In heaven, the forever family will recognize that only our creator God has the right to wear a crown in his presence. So we will cast them down on the floor before God, declaring that he alone is worthy of all glory and honor and power. The one who created the heavens and sustains them by the power of his word is alone worthy of our praise. It's a lot to take in, isn't it? Whew, I need a break for a second here. Well, that's chapter four, the worship of God, our creator. Now let's move on to chapter five. Number two, the worship of Jesus, the lion, our redeemer. The worship of Jesus, the lion, our redeemer. 
John continues on in chapter 5 with what he saw and what he experienced in the throne room of heaven, and he does his best to describe it to us. Verse 1, And I saw in the right hand of him, Father God, who sat on the throne, a scroll written and on the back sealed with seven seals. Now the scroll here, mentioned is it strongly resembles that of an official first century Roman will or title deed that was also fashioned exactly as this one. For a will or a deed to be official and considered valid and legit, it had to be sealed with seven seals in the presence of seven witnesses. So when you wrote your will out for your family, you had to have seven people that you trusted come over. And they would put, each one would put a seal with their signet ring in it. So there would be seven seals on your scroll that was rolled up. So they, they were pretty large scrolls back then. And, and then at some point, when at your death, it became necessary to look at this, this will or this title deed, then all seven of those witnesses had to be gathered into the room where you were about to read it. And they would make sure that their signet ring or their signet had not been broken. All seven had to witness this. The will here in Revelation 5 was the title deed to all creation. Originally in God's right hand, we read but promised to Jesus for his perfect work of redemption on the cross. God speaking to Jesus back in Psalm 2, 7 and 8 said this to his son. He said, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Everything created God bequeathed to Jesus. It was rightfully his. Jesus is the heir to it all. He is the kinsman redeemer for all humanity and the rightful owner of it all because he paid for it with his blood. The deed is his and his alone. And I think of the song that I sang as a young child growing up in the church, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. It's all his. The Lion of Judah, the Lamb that was slain, is the only one that can open such an eternal, awesome, and powerful document such as the one described here. Verse 2, Then I saw a strong angel. Now this could be Gabriel, it could be Michael, I couldn't decide, you know, and we're not told. Gabriel, of course, was the one who did most of the announcements in the Bible, so it could easily be Gabriel. Uh, Michael was the strong, powerful angel, the warrior angel, so it could be him too as, as described here. Who knows? It could be a third angel that we don't know uh, yet. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. 
Not only can they not touch it or, or open it, we can't even look at it. It's that holy of a document. And at that moment, John realizes that unless the one who is the rightful heir of all creation opens it, unless this kinsman redeemer steps forward to claim his rightful claim, there can be no final disposition of mankind on the earth. Here's John's response to that. Verse 4, So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. John weeps here because the fate of all humanity rests inside of that scroll that no, that no one who, who was present at least at this moment could open. Remember, we've been introduced into this amazing picture of heaven. We've been introduced to God at his throne. He's got the scroll in his right hand, but it is not his. The 24 elders, the four living creatures, and some angels we've all seen, but we have not seen the lion, and that scroll is his. He is the rightful heir who has sole rights to open the scroll and execute its authority, and God awaits his arrival. And when Jesus, the hero of all heroes, arrives here in this next paragraph, all praise and worship breaks loose in heaven. You recall that in chapter 4, we saw God the Father, our Creator, receiving worship. And in chapter 5 now, we're about to see the worship of the Savior. Continuing on, we see Four reasons to worship the lion. Four, four reasons to worship the lion. Here's reason number one. Because of his three esteemed titles. His three esteemed titles. Verse five. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Note to self, there are tears in heaven right now, but later on they will be dried and, and forevermore. We will not experience tears, but right now there are. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. So John just breaks down crying because the one that he's looking for, the rightful heir to this scroll is not, is not in front of him. And one of the elders takes him on the shoulder and says, hey, don't cry. Behold, the Lamb of God. Jesus makes his entry. And the ultimate introduction. Cue the spotlight the music, and the worshipers. Letter A, we've, we see the first title, the Lion of Judah. He's known as the Lion of Judah. The title Lion represents power and authority, uh, the king of the jungle, as it were, but also the king of all kings over all of creation. You may recall that Saul was Israel's first king, but he was from the tribe of Benjamin, not Judah. Scripture prophesied that Messiah would come from the line of Judah, and God used Saul as a punishment to Israel for demanding a man ruler rather than God himself. God was the rightful ruler of Israel. God had chosen Israel, and then Israel in response looked over the fence and saw other countries and that they had these awesome kings that wore crowns and they were really cool and their kings looked, you know, really amazing. Well, how come we don't have a king? We want a, a king. And they 
demanded a king to rule over them. God said, be careful what you wish for. But they demanded it, and God said, okay, here you go. And he gave him Saul, and boy, what a nightmare that was. After Saul's reign, God chose David from the tribe of Judah to rule his people. And of course, Jesus is the descendant of David. He is in the root of David, and we're going to look at that in just a moment here. We've seen, A, the first title is the Lion of Judah. Continuing on now in verse 5, we see letter B, The second title is The Root of David. Jesus is called The Root of David. Verse 5, Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Only the Root of David, only this Lion of Judah can open the scroll. The title Root Root of David hearkens to Jesus' pre-eternal state. In Matthew 24, 41, Jesus is talking um, to the um, Pharisees here, and he points out that Messiah would be both David's descendant and his Lord. And, and that kind of plays with your mind. How can he be, how can he pre-exist David, but be the root of David, which is the son of David? How could he be both? And he asked the Pharisees this question. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit restoredcommunitychurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.